good afternoon. My name is Tellus, and uh, I'll be sharing. I'm the youth pastor here at Grace, and I'll be sharing the word with us this this afternoon, everybody. So appreciate you, dog. Appreciate y'all. Um, I'm super excited to share what um, Pastor Tiffany, Pastor Corey, and I have been laboring over for the past few weeks. Um, we've had an opportunity to pick a text that we really feel will encourage, challenge, um, uplift, and maybe give a different perspective of who Jesus is to us and who we are to him in this season. Um, but there's one thing I want to acknowledge before we jump into this text, um, which I'm super excited about, is I want to acknowledge uh, happy Valentine's Day to everybody and happy Single Awareness Day to everybody else. Um, <laughs> this, that, that, this, this holiday that just passed, um, I think, can be one of the most conflicting holidays, depending on your status at the moment. Um, and I want to encourage you that the fulfillment that we find in a boy or a girl or a relationship that we find on earth will never compare to the significance that our Heavenly Father can give us. You might have heard that before, but I want you to hear it again, that there is a truth of a God who loves you more than that boy ever will, better than that girl ever will, and more consistently than you could ever imagine. That there's a God who is here, able, willing, and ready for your love, for you to love you. Um, So I want to say, in case you haven't heard it recently, I love you. I think you're great, but more importantly, God loves you, and he thinks you're great. What we're about to do is we're about to uh, jump into a passage um, in one of the Gospels, one of my favorite parts of the Bible, Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1, verse 40, and we're about to jump into a little uh, story of one of Jesus's encounters, first encounters with a person in the Gospel of Mark. Now, the Gospel of Mark is written by this guy named, you guessed it, Mark. And this guy was writing to this church in Rome. He was writing to essentially urge, convince, tell his account of his experience with Jesus. Now, Mark didn't necessarily walk with Jesus while he was physically, literally on earth. But he did walk very closely with somebody else who walked closely with Jesus, being Peter. The same Peter who walked on water, the same Peter who had the revelation of Christ being, uh, Jesus being in the Christ, the same Peter who was at the Mount Transfiguration, that, that same Peter was the man who was walking with Mark. So Mark gives a detailed account of Jesus' earthly ministry. Where we find ourselves right now is that Jesus in chapter 1, Mark explains this gospel and who Jesus is in a pretty fast-paced way. Um, If you've ever read the Gospel of Mark, he is essentially wasting no time going from event to event, from miracle to miracle, from salvation to salvation. He's essentially giving you his highlight reel of exactly what Jesus did while he was on earth. And his ultimate goal in expressing who Jesus is, is that he expresses to us, wants the reader to know that Jesus is a miracle worker. Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is your Savior. But Jesus is King, is what Mark wants us to know. He wants every reader in this passage, while he's telling this story, to know that Jesus is king. Before we get to Mark, uh, in uh, our passage, Mark chapter 1, verse 40 through 45, we see Jesus has called some of his disciples. It says Jesus has healed many. Jesus cast demons out. John the Baptist, the chapter literally starts with John the Baptist. And if you know John the Baptist's story, it was kind of crazy. He was this kind of really strange looking guy who was really, really radical and kind of wore weird clothes and ate weird things and then he got killed in a very dramatic way. And that's kind of how Mark starts his gospel. And we get to verse 40 and in the, in, in the middle of verse one to verse 40, 
you can already see in that one chapter, Jesus has changed the landscape of his entire culture. And we get to verse 40 of Mark chapter 1. Um, and this is after he's called some of his disciples, after crowds have already gathered around Jesus, everywhere he went, there were people following him, hearing rumors about this guy, this, this man who could maybe heal, who claimed he was the son of God, this king. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 40, and we're going to read through 45, it says this. It says, And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him, and falling on his knees before him, saying, If you are willing... You can make me clean. And moved with compassion, that word's going to be big here, moved with compassion. Some different versions say moved with pity. Some different versions say he was indignant, Jesus was. Moved with compassion, it says, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Verse 43, and he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. He said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out, <laughs> the leper, but he went out and began to proclaim it freely and spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and some versions say in desolate places. And they were coming to him from everywhere. And they were coming to him from everywhere. What I want to title this message that we're going to jump into for the next few minutes is Cleansed by the King. Cleansed by the King. Will you pray with me for a little bit? Jesus, we love you so much. We're so thankful for your gift of grace. God, that you chose us, you love us, you've forgiven us when you didn't need to, but you wanted to. You have given us something in Jesus that we could never earn. Thank you for your grace. God, I'm asking that you would open up your word to us, that we would hear what you want us to say, not what I want to say. God, that I would say what you want me to say and not what I want to say. Holy Spirit, we love you so much, but more importantly, you love us. Holy Spirit, empower us in this moment to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. In your name we pray. And everyone said? And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Um, when I was in college, I got sick pretty often. And despite the fact that I thought, I, I was probably like, you know, when you were in college and you were, thought you were invincible and you were like, oh, I can eat Chinese food for three days straight and not go to the gym and stay up till 4 a.m. and go to my 8 a.m. and fall asleep in my 8 a.m. And like all these things. And you think that your body wouldn't really care about how, what the pressure you're putting on it. When I was in college, I remember there was a time in my senior year when um, I was interning at Grace, I went to VCU, best school in the nation, go Rams. I went to, I uh, was interning at Grace, I went to VCU, and, um, and I was also working at this bookstore, right? So I was working at the bookstore, interning at Grace, uh, come, driving back, and then I was uh, also a student. 
And I remember this time in, in my senior year where it was just the whole thing where it was like you got to graduate in classes and friends and you realize what your future is going to look like and you have to make some really practical decisions on what you want to do with your future. And my uh, hubris and my invincible 21-year-old body, I was like, I don't have to eat healthy. I don't have to sleep. I don't really have to rest. I don't have to work out. I can just kind of do what I want to do and I'll be good. Obviously, that resulted in me getting sick, right? You, have, you, ever, you ever been sick, but to the point where you thought you could overpower the sickness, you just like, oh, mind over matter type thing? That was me. So I was like, got sick, and then on top of that, got sick. Long story short, got the flu and strep, same time. Wasn't fun. I remember in that time, I, I go to like the urgent care, right? Go to urgent care, and then they're like, oh, yeah, bro, you're like sick, sick. And I was like, all right, whatever. I, I go um, to my classes, and all my professors, you, you know at that season, maybe now it's that season, you go to work or your work send out emails or if you're a student, your, your school or, or whatever, and they're sending out messages that's like, if you're sick, stay home, right? Where it's like, we don't want you anywhere near us, stay away. I remember my teachers, and for me, I was like, hey, no class, all right, cool. And then I remember I would try to go to my job with the bookstore, and, um, and I'd show up one day, and, and, and my boss, she was essentially just like, hey, you don't look so good. And my roommate was like, yeah, this dude is tripping. Like, he has strep, and he's flu, and he's trying to move these. And, and she was like, go home, right? I remember I was like, okay, I'm getting the trend, uh, uh, but surely church will accept me, right? No. So I come forth, no, I come back, and while I was interning here, I come back, and I'm, uh, uh, I, I email my boss at the time, and I was like, hey, I'm, I'm willing to come back. Like, I'll come back. But I just want you to know, like, I'm like a walking disease at the moment. So if you want me there, I'll be there. But, and he was like, no, whatever you do, stay home, right? At this point, and, and, and I remember that time, like, after one, after another, after another of church, of school, of my, uh, of, uh, of my job, I just realized over the course of time that I wasn't really allowed anywhere. My roommates didn't even want me in the family room, right? I was kind of secluded to my room, like quarantined to a sense. And I remember in that moment, I was just like, man, like there's nothing that I can do in this moment to go anywhere that I need to go or there I want to go. I was outcast essentially in that moment. Um, And I think in a similar way, less drastic way, but in a similar way, we find ourselves right now in this story at the beginning of Mark, seeing this leper who is in a really similar, way more dramatic than the flu and strep, but in a really similar position. We see this leper who is completely outcast, completely put aside, and then we see a God who is completely available. If you haven't been made aware of what leprosy is, I want to give you a little context to what this disease is and what it does to you that we've come to an understanding maybe as a church on what is acceptable and what isn't, what we can do and what we can't do, where we are allowed to go and where we're not allowed to go, what we, what the behavior that is, is acceptable and the behavior that isn't acceptable. And sometimes I think that we can feel like that leper when we come to church, that we say, oh, well, I, I need to stay away because I'm not really good right now. I'm not really welcome in that environment because but I, I was literally at the, at the store the other night, a few nights ago, and I ran into somebody, and they were sharing their story about how they hadn't been to church in a while. And word for word, you ever been on this person that says word for word? They're like, oh, pastor, I need to, I need to fix a few things before I come to church, right? Oh, oh pastor, I, me and God, we need, to, we need to talk about a few things before I can 
come back to church. Oh, pastor, hey, I've been in the world, you know what I'm saying? I've been in the world, pastor. There's been a time in my season where I've been in the world and of the world, if you know what I'm saying, pastor. And we find ourselves in this place, and, and, and most of the time we can laugh about that. If we're honest with ourselves, I think a little bit of us almost might lean towards that same mentality that says, well, if I'm not completely healthy, I'm not really sure that God will accept me, let alone God's people. If, if I'm, I'm not really well yet. So when I get well, I can come back to school. When I get well, I can come back to church. When I get well, I can go back to, when I get well. In the same way, we feel excluded just like I did when I was at school. We think that God is disappointed in us. We think that we have to get it together. We have to get well before we approach Jesus. And I want to kind of squash that myth here at Grace that we have to be well before we can come to Jesus, that we can actually come to Jesus exactly as we are. When we get to the point, when we get to this point in the Bible, I want us to see that there's a specific analogy in correlation to who we are and who Jesus is in this story. Spoiler alert, you're the leper. Spoiler alert, I'm the leper. And we see in this story, it's, it can be really easy in church to disassociate yourself with the really bad people and then look for the redeeming qualities in the good people and say, well, I know those people and I'm not them. And this guy was kind of struggling, but he was kind of with you. So I'm more like him. And then Jesus is Jesus. And, and we kind of compartmentalize where we fit in the story. But if I could help you out with something, you are always the villain and Jesus is always the hero. Whenever, and that might hurt some of our feelings to say, Pastor, what do you mean? But I'm just going to be honest with you and myself that in this story, when we look at the Bible and disassociate ourselves from who we really are in the story, we might never really see who Jesus is. There has to be an association. We can remove ourselves from the Bible really easily, thinking we don't have leprosy, thinking we're not that sinner, we're not that person. But in reality, we might be way more similar than we think. In a really similar way, practically, this man with leprosy had a lot of issues, socially speaking. We're about to go into what that meant for a leper. But leprosy actually uh, is called Hansen's disease. Maybe you've heard of it. What a leper had to do, if you can read about this in Leviticus 13, which we don't have all the time to get into right now. But in Leviticus 13, it gives a lot of rules on what a leper can and can't do and what are the protocols to being well and if you are still ill. To just name a few of them, if you're a leper, you had to wear ripped clothes at all times. You had boils and marks all over your skin that were essentially corrupting your whole body from the inside out. Your nerves would be damaged so much so that you couldn't actually feel anything anymore. The whole disease would start with pain And then soon afterwards, that disease would morph into numbness. And you might think, well, numbness is great. Like, you don't have to feel the pain anymore. But the issue with the numbness is that you could do normal menial tasks with excruciating effects because you didn't have the pain receptors to tell you that it was hurting you in the first place. This nerve damage took over your whole body. Your larynx would be compromised so that you sounded more like a dog than a human. You couldn't live in society. There was actually a historian historian in the time named Josephus. And at this time, he literally said, lepers are walking dead men and should be treated as such. While you were walking around, you had to cover your mouth and yell, unclean, unclean, wherever you went. You couldn't get within six feet of anybody and 150 feet if the wind was blowing. 
You weren't allowed within society. You had to be ostracized. And this was the law. And you might say, well, pastor, I'm definitely not the leper. (laughs) But I want to draw a few correlations to him and us. In the same way that this man had leprosy, we have sin. And sin, like leprosy, affects us from the inside out. It goes down deep. And in the, in, in the beginning, you might not necessarily know the effects. But something is going on inside of us that's affecting everything else outside of us. Leprosy, like sin, affects our relationships in our community. It tears us away from people just like this leper was. He wasn't allowed within feet of people, and he wasn't even allowed in a city, let alone near a city. In the same way, sin causes us to retreat from people because of shame, guilt, and judgment. We don't think that we belong in church anymore because of sin. In the same way that this man thought, and actually people thought, that he didn't belong in a community anymore more because of his leprosy. Leprosy, just like sin, allows us to grow numb to the feeling that we have. This man actually could not feel what was hurting him in the same way where you sinned that first time, you got drunk that first time, and you're like, oh my gosh, that was the worst thing. God will never do it again. And then you did a second time and you realize you didn't go to hell. And a third time you realize you didn't go to hell. And a fourth time you realize you didn't. And you're like, oh man, this is actually not as bad as I thought it was. And all of a sudden we can do it without feeling anything anymore. We can sin way more easily, way more often, and with way less conviction. And this leper was numb in the same way. Sin, just like leprosy, is incurable. There was no cure that this man could find in and of himself that could fix himself. And just like sin, there is an issue within me and you and everyone in this room, everyone on this planet, that is inside of us, that is incurable, in and of ourselves. Leprosy and sin are pretty similar. I want to talk about three things. And the first thing I want to talk about with us is this desperate man. Now, we get to a point where we see this man approaching Jesus. Jesus is walking probably with a crowd because Jesus always had a crowd. And walking, and this man goes up to Jesus. And my first thought when this man approaches Jesus is, how did he even get to Jesus? Because if this man wasn't allowed within six feet of people, let alone 150 feet of, 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 with, if the wind was blowing, let alone near a city, how did he even get to Jesus? Did he sneak up on him? Did he change his clothes? Was he hiding behind a what, what, How did this man approach Jesus in the first place? This Man, I think, had a hope that was stronger than the decision in the circumstance that he was in. He heard a rumor about a guy who could maybe heal him. And the issue was that if a man had leprosy and he approached somebody, let alone a man as holy as Jesus, he approached somebody. The issue was that he was, the law was that he was supposed to be stoned. That was the rule. That if he did this thing, this was the end of his life. So I must think that this leper was like, well, if I don't approach Jesus, I'm going to die. If I do approach Jesus, I'm probably still going to die. So I might as well hold on to this little hope of this crazy carpenter from this crazy town who might be able to heal me. I've heard a rumor about this guy. I've I've heard a story. I mean, maybe it could be for me. I might just be desperate enough to think that he would want to heal me. You ever been in that place? Desperate? I think that if anything in this story, 
we can find some hope from this leper because he had a hope that went beyond his circumstance in Jesus. I think some of us would be in the same situation and we would be discouraged. We would be ashamed. We would be scared. We would never approach a man like Jesus. And we have really, really tired hope. And from what I've learned just living through this, my short time on earth so far, is that discouragement isn't really just bad things, but discouragement is just hope in the wrong direction. When you're discouraged, you're just expecting and hoping for something that isn't better, but that's actually worse. A man who had nothing else to lose. He heard a rumor about a carpenter, and he thought maybe he could help. This man was desperate. This culture was desperate. And it shows our desperation. And everyone in this time considered that that leprosy was a spiritual disease. That this was God's punishment on you for something you did or something that your family did. That you must have been a leper because of an issue. And this was God's way of punishing you. And and, and we see in the story that this man approaches Jesus, and I'm like, man, you must have been a leper for how many years to approach this man and think that maybe he could heal you? He was that desperate for Jesus. And he approaches Jesus and he says, if you can, you can make me well. This man acknowledges that Jesus can do it, but just didn't know if he would. He had a hope that, and I heard a story that maybe, I just don't know if it's me, he knew the gap that separated him and this God man. And he said, man, I understand there's a gap, but I also understand your power. And I've heard stories that you didn't really care about persons, you just cared about love. So maybe would you just extend that love to me? I know I'm dirty. I know I'm not supposed to be here. And I know this is probably the end of my life, but maybe, just maybe, you would have mercy on me. I know you can heal me, but will you? And how does Jesus treat this leper? A desperate approach gets a desiring response. This is where compassion meets action. Because we see Jesus responding in an insane way. I I think that we've really perfected our ability to project something perfect to culture. You know what I mean? That, that we've been trained to hide dysfunction and that we are really, really good at showing all of our strengths and none of our weaknesses because weaknesses make you unattractive and weaknesses make you unmarketable and weaknesses show that you aren't better than and weaknesses make you compare yourself to somebody else and realize that you're not better. We have never been in a time that I know of where we can so practically measure our value to somebody else. How many likes did you get? How many did I get? How many followers do you have? How, many, how much money do you have? How many, how many, how many views did you get? How much, how, we, we can compare our value to somebody so easy. And I know that practice makes perfect. And we have perfected projecting perfection. When we practice something, we get better at it. And our culture has practically trained us to try and show everybody all of your strengths and none of your weaknesses. But I remember there's a point in our Bible where it says 2 Corinthians 2.19 where Paul says, I will actually boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses. So what? So that Christ's power may rest upon me. Maybe this leper knew something about Jesus that really wasn't even written down yet. And he said, maybe my weakness is actually a platform for God to actually do a miracle in my life. 
Jesus was not just a miracle worker. He also brought a message, and his message was of hope. And I think this leper had some hope that's seriously lacking in our society, that we are hoping maybe for just a better day and not for complete healing. But we get to this point where we don't just have a desperate man, but we actually have a deliberate touch. We have a deliberate touch from a God. A God-man who approaches, who lets this leper approach him. God wasn't surprised at this, by the way, guys. Like, he wasn't like, oh my gosh, a leper! Everyone else might have been, but like, you think God didn't know that this leper was there? He knew the leper was there. He knew his issues. He knew he had been a leper for 10 plus years and that he had to leave every friend he ever known, every family member. He wasn't allowed to keep his job anymore. He had to go out into the desolate places in outside the city. He knew that this man was dysfunctional. And yet Jesus allowed for him to approach him. We see in the word that Jesus looks upon this man with compassion and this word that's in the Greek that I can't pronounce what Pastor Tiffany did in the first service, so you should watch the uh, podcast of it later. Um, <laughs> that word is used, and what that word means is it literally can be translated to compassion, pity, or indignance. And I see the story, and I'm like, well, God, like, what are you trying to say through this? Like, what, why, you look at this, are you angry at the guy? Like, are you, do you, are you feel sorry? And I, and I read the story, and I realize that Jesus, in this moment, I really believe, Jesus in this moment is the perfection of all the emotions, all the feelings, all the urges that we have. We're in a, a time where Twitter activism is at its all-time high. That if you favor a tweet and retweet it, you're like, all right, it did something. I'm saving the world and all those kids who are... And, and, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't retweet and favorite and share on Facebook. But Jesus came to this moment where he actually had the power, the compassion, and the passion. That he was indignant towards, not the man, I believe, not the man, but he was indignant towards the system and sin that caused the man to be where he was at. He felt for him in pity where he said, man, I feel so sorry for you. This never should have happened to you. Sin, I hate sin because it did this to my creation. And then he felt compassion towards the man to actually do something about it. Some of us just are indignant towards atrocities in the world, and that doesn't help anything because we're just angry. Some of us feel a lot of pity towards kids who can't feed themselves, but that also doesn't help anything. Some of us feel a lot of compassion, but none of us have the power, the compassion, and the power to do anything about it except for Jesus. And if you're an activist, if you're a social, social activism right now, you should be hyped because this is your Jesus who sees the underprivileged, who sees the marginalized, who sees the people who are being held prejudiced against them. And he says, I want that one. He says, I want to go after you. The dirty parts of society, that's the part that I want to envelop myself in. Jesus answers the man when he asks, I know you can, but will you? Jesus says, I am willing. And I, I just want you to imagine this with me. I, I want you to imagine that this man, it says, it, it's, it's really graphic, so I'm going to try and tone it down. But this man's face was deformed. His limbs and fingertips might have been falling off. He had rashes all over his skin. It, 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 one one, one uh, scholar said that, or... Um, Article I read said that your face would almost start to morph into like a lion. It would be so swollen. You couldn't see. You couldn't feel. You couldn't do anything. He approaches Jesus on his knees beseeching him. And Jesus says, I am willing. And I'm sure at this moment, this guy was like, oh my gosh, it worked. Oh, okay. 
I'm going to have to go, I can go see my family. Oh my, 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 oh, my, oh, my gosh, my boss said if I ever get well, I can come back to work. I can go move back into town. I wonder how old my kid is now. I wonder if my, my, my nephew is, 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 is working on his job yet. And he gets in front of Jesus on his knees, probably doesn't even look at him because he's so ashamed. And Jesus does something out of the ordinary. Jesus, it says, reaches out his hand and touches the man. Now, we don't have time to go into all of Mark, but I just need you to know, and you can read in your Bible today, Jesus healed a bunch of people before and after this without touching them. So why did Jesus touch this guy? This man's kneeling on, on his knees, probably not even looking at Jesus. And all of a sudden, he's like, man, if you can, you can make me clean. Jesus says, I will. You can be clean. And then all of a sudden, he feels something. He hasn't felt in years, guys. He feels something on his head. And he says, wait, what is that? He looks up, and I can only imagine that his hand is now what it used to be. That he can see out of his eyes that have been useless for years. That he feels a touch, not just from a man, but from a God man for the first time in years. And everything that he knew about his dysfunction was changed in a moment moment because of a touch. I wonder if you know that every part of your dysfunction that you feel, every sin that you've committed, every issue that you have is not about being well before you get to Jesus. It's about approaching Jesus and he makes you well. He had a deliberate touch and he touched this man and, and all of a sudden this man's life is changed. And this man can, can see, and I'm sure the crowd is just like, oh my gosh. And I'm sure that everybody in the crowd sees the man healed and then looks at Jesus and they're like, and now he's gone. Because here's the thing, guys. Jesus was committing social condemnation on himself by doing this. For him to allow a leper to approach him and then for him to touch the leper, people all around him his were like, all right, well, there, okay, it was good while it lasted. <laughs> he's dead. <laughs> They were probably like, bro, why did you, why did you, t Jesus didn't have to touch him. Jesus didn't need to touch him, but Jesus wanted to touch him. Where do you need a deliberate touch from Jesus today? Where are you hiding? Do you feel it's too dirty? It's too, it's, it's too gross? It's been infested, infected too long that nobody knows this part of me, and if they did, they wouldn't treat me the same. Church wouldn't allow me. I would feel ostracized just like this man. Where do you need a touch from Jesus? And I want you to know that Jesus isn't going to hide from you. He's not going to try and do it in secret and say, all right, well, don't, no, shh. No, no, don't, okay. He wants everyone to know I'm associated with him. I'm associated with her. The holiest person, person touches the dirtiest person. What if Jesus, what if God is still the father who sees you from a long way off and welcomes you home? What if God is still the shepherd that leaves the 99 and goes to the one? What if God is still a representation of Hosea keep running after Gomer even though she's abandoned him and left him and forsaken him time after time after time? What if God is still a God whose mercy triumphs over his judgment? What if God is still the great and good Samaritan? What if God still wants to cleanse us just like he cleansed that leper? What if that is still your king who gets into the dirt? It seems to me, and this is kind of what convicted me, it seems to me that we're all contagious with something. 
<laughs> that everybody in this room, you're contagious with something. And my one question is, what are people catching from you? Because Jesus approaches this guy, and what was, oh, guys, you got to hear this. And what was supposed, the leprosy was supposed to infect Jesus, but Jesus infected the leprosy. What are people catching from you? And what are you withholding from Jesus that you think is too dirty? Because Jesus allowed this man to approach him, and then he touched him when he didn't have to. He didn't need to, but he said, you know what? This isn't just for you. It's for everybody else. And say, I'm not scared of the dirt. I actually breathed into the dirt, and I'm waiting for my dirt to come back to me and worship me in spirit and in truth. And this hope that this leper had might not have just been a hope for a better day, but maybe a hope for a better life. Maybe you can hope for a better life. Hope is becoming a precious commodity, and we can learn something from this leper and say, man, maybe, just maybe that God still exists. Maybe, just maybe, he'll still give me a hope that goes beyond a better paycheck and goes beyond a better relationship and goes beyond my kids not messing up and goes beyond me being able to pay my bill. Maybe, just maybe, his hope is stronger than that. He gave him a deliberate touch. And lastly, I know it's, I'm going long, but lastly, this is the last point, guys, is that this was a divine design. This is, man, that God touched this man when he didn't have to is insane. That God gives you not just what you need, but what your heart desires, that's insane. That you have a God who touches a really, really dirty person and doesn't just heal them, but cleanses them. Doesn't just make the bad go away, but actually makes them new. He didn't have fingers anymore, but he had fingers after Jesus touched him. This is new. And then we get a divine design. And, and the thing that I noticed about this part in the story, it says in um, uh, 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 verse 45 says, but, but he went out, this after Jesus sternly charged him not to say anything to anybody, but he went out and began to freely talk about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer enter a town and he was in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. What this tells me is that, is that there is a price for purity. There is a price that had to be paid for this man's purity. Now, Jesus touched the man, and Jesus was not infected. Jesus is holy, and he, there is no darkness in him. He is light. He was not infected. But there was a price that had to be paid. This is foreshadowing in the cross, guys. There was a price that had to be paid for this leper. And because this leper, dis, this leper disobeyed Jesus, Jesus now was in desolate places, and the leper was now in community. Jesus didn't just take away your bad. He took on your bad. He was a God who didn't say, I'm not just going to erase it and say, oh, we're going to act like this never happened. There is a price for purity. It costs Jesus something to make you clean. And he counted the cost. And he said, I know it's going to cost me my death. I know I'm going to be ashamed. I know they're going to mock me. I know my town's going to hate me. I know I'm going to leave a perfect place for an imperfect place. Perfect community for imperfect community. And he said, I still count the cost and I still count it worth it. That Jesus counted the cost for you. And he counted the cost for me. And there was a king that cleansed us. 
And there's a verse in my Bible that says, for he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of Jesus, righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That there is a man who knew nothing about sin, but became it on our behalf. And for our sake, in spite of what you've done, not because of what you've done. You could not be good enough for Jesus. I could, can you imagine a hospital when I was sick in school saying, man, you can come to urgent care, but you have to wait till you get better before you come to the doctor. You have to wait till you're healthy before you go to the hospital. And some of us still think I have to wait till I'm better before I go to church. I have to wait till I stop doing this bad thing before I can go back to Jesus. Jesus is giving me the side eye still. He's still not all that happy with me. And we see a divine design that he who knew no sin became sin. And that Jesus, there was a cost for our healing. Darian, can you get up so I end? Because I'm going to keep preaching if you don't get up here. <laughs> Love you, by the way. <laughs> there was a divine design for us. And that Jesus knew. Jesus knew this is my last point, I promise. He sternly charged him to tell nothing to anybody. And a verse later, he went out and began to talk freely about it. Jesus knew. It's not, it's, it's not like Jesus didn't know that he was going to do this. Why did he? Why did Jesus heal the guy, trade places with the guy, just so Jesus could be put in a worse position? And it's not that Jesus didn't want people to know about the miracle. It's that the miracle was pointing to a message, and he didn't want to just be known as somebody who would just heal everybody that came. He was there, more importantly, for the message of good news of Jesus Christ. And he trades places with this guy. And I see in the story, like, Jesus knew that he was going to be trading places and he still charged the guy, still knowing that the guy would disobey him and still chose to heal him. And Jesus died on the cross a few chapters later for you, knowing that you were going to leave, knowing that you were still going to sin, knowing that most of us wouldn't even accept the gift. And he said, I still want that one. He said, and I can imagine if I was there, I would be like, Jesus, but they don't, they're not even going to appreciate it. I still want them. God, but I mean, you know they're going to disobey you, right? Yeah, I still want them. God, but you just told them not to do it, and then they went to go do it. Yeah, but I love them. But what if they don't accept you? They might not. I still want them. That's God's unconditional grace and favor and love upon your life. I want you guys to know you're the leper and Jesus is the king and Jesus touched the leper and because of that one touch, we are cleansed by a king who brought us into a family even though we were messed up in dirt and now we can freely approach Jesus and now our lives are changed forever because of one touch. I want you guys to be encouraged this afternoon that there's a God who's not scared of your dirt. 
and there's a God who's calling you to obedience, this is not Jesus saying that disobedience is okay. That's not what I'm saying. Jesus is asking for your obedience. Are we going to be obedient or are we going to be like the leper? Can we leave this place and say, man, God, you've called me to something. God, let me be obedient to your call because without you, I was a dead man walking.